Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mdiwa Gavaza, and for today, um, you know, we get things rolling over on the consumer front, um, looking at uh, some of the trends that uh, businesses need to be um, taking uh, cognizance of, um, you know, simply because um, most of the time when we look at business, there's a lot of different ways uh, that people can insert themselves um, in the value chain you know some people are going uh, business to business others are going business to consumer but a lot of the time it is what's happening in the consumer market that lends itself to where businesses are going if a lot more um, consumers are saying that uh, they want to consume on-demand video content then you're going to see more and more streaming companies uh, you know popping up in a certain market as we have seen um, in South Africa and in the same way if more and more uh, uh, South African consumers are saying that they want to, you know, be shopping online. Then you're going to be seeing more and more uh, businesses offering e-commerce services, and then um, a value chain of businesses offering the businesses uh, that offer e-commerce uh, e-commerce services. You know, their own, you know, products and services over on the business-to-business front. So for today, it's just that cognizance of saying that you know consumers are very important and. Um, just watching what they're doing and where things are going in the consumer market can, uh, you know, lend itself for, you know, entrepreneurs, corporates and other organizations, uh, you know, that want to take advantage of the trend. And also just to make sure that you aren't uh, caught napping, you know, and find yourself on the back foot. Uh, so for today, to help us to unpack, you know, what's actually uh, what's happening, uh, we're going to be touching on a couple of these, um, couple of these trends. And uh, for today, to help us you know with all of this we are joined by david makova who is uh, the founder and ceo um, of uh, mr mac learning and he's going to be giving us you know that insight um you know he's affectionately known as uh, you know mr mac and he's going to be giving us all of that insight you know into what's going on um, in the consumer market and what businesses should be uh, paying attention to Mr. Mac, greetings to you today. Hello, Mudiwad. Hello, listeners. It's fantastic to be here. Uh, maybe before we get into the things that businesses should be uh, paying attention to from a consumer point of view, just from a Mr. Mac learning um, perspective, uh, just a little bit of insight uh, of, uh, you know, your context, where you're coming from. Uh, absolutely, Mudiwa. So, so Mr. Mac Learning is fundamentally a premium online business learning platform. And what we do is we allow people access to world-class business education that's contextualized in South Africa and the African market as a whole. What we found with our online learning platforms we're accessing in South Africa is they're very European and American-based, and as a result, they were less impactful. We've curated the largest catalog of content that delivers business education online contextualized in South Africa and on the rest of the African continent. Our price points are amazing. Uh, we deliver it through our own bespoke platform, and we are the most accessible online business learning platform 
or the African continent. Okay, cool. So at least we, you know, we understand where all of that is coming from, and perhaps, um, you know, that then lends itself to say, you know, with all the, you know, learnings and teachings that you guys are offering to businesses, you know, what are some of the trends at the moment from a consumer point of view, um, you know, that are lending themselves to where businesses could possibly be going um, at the moment. Maybe we can get into the first one and you can just run us through that one. So, Mudiwa, I'm going to point out three really strong trends that we're seeing in 2022 and going forward. And the first one I want to kick off with is a very simplistic one, bricks and water. We're going to look at real estate and property. And what we've seen from a commercial office space perspective, which all businesses are aware of, is we see people returning to work, absolutely, but this is being done at a scaled-down basis. So a lot of companies have opted to hot desk, to rotate. People come in for one or two days per week. And when they're signing leases, they're signing them for much shorter durations. That's something that's obvious that played itself out in 2021. We're seeing it again in 2022. But I'm going to pivot and look at the consumer implications of that. And specifically, if we take a look at commercial retail. So what we're seeing in the U.S., and it's now being translated into South Africa as well, is as the online ecosystem of transactions and delivery matures in SA, a lot of the second-tier and third-tier malls are going to come under an incredible amount of pressure. People who've got the option to purchase a significant number of their transactions or portfolio online won't visit malls as regularly as they did in the past. So your second tier and your third tier malls are going to come under pressure. Your flagship malls, the really blue chip guys, those are actually going to do increasingly well because people are coming in there for the experience. Either they're going to restaurants or they're going to upmarket outlets where they want to do the physical shopping. But if you're a second tier more, a third tier more, if you've got no differentiation, particularly if you're in one of the metros, if you're in uh, Joburg, if you're in Pretoria, if you're in Cape Town, uh, if you're in Durban, you're actually going to suffer a lot. And then the last point I'm going to make with regards to the real estate and the property market is in the residential area. So in South Africa, we've had this proliferation of clusters and, and townhouses and security states, mainly due to the crime situation. But what we're finding now, post-COVID, end of 2021, early 2022, is fundamentally a lot of the housing, the standalone houses, are now attracting much more attention because you can go in, buy it, refurbish it, and put in an extra office or increase the space that you have in a standalone house as opposed to a cluster or as opposed to a townhouse. So this differentiation with regards to the housing market, which is adding to its appeal as standalone houses, um, is really accelerating because you find that with the established estates, that flexibility is not there. That's the first point I'd really like to point out with regards to some of these consumer trends. 
I guess, uh, you know, when hearing about those trends, it does beg a couple of questions. You know, the first one, um, the first one simply being if I'm a business, um, in, a, in a second or in a second or third tier more, um, like what you were describing just now, um, am I, Am, am, am I to be sitting here and saying, okay, fine, it's time to close up shop? Or rather, you know, do I go and try to look for a more premium listing that might come at a high cost? I know that small businesses might grumble at something like that. Or, you know, do I sort of shift and, you know, shift my focus to having more of my business, um, you know, happening online to take, uh, to take uh, advantage of some of the trends that are happening right now? Well, I think it's going to probably need to be a blend and a combination of those. And it's really informed by the type of business that you are. If you're a business and you're in a second and a third tier more and you see the traffic waning, you absolutely have to make some adjustments. The challenge, though, is not every single business will be able to get into one of the first tier malls. It's just not possible. And especially if you're running a business which is operating at very, very slim margins, it doesn't make commercial sense to get into a first-tier mall. You can't afford it. So how you diversify your channels, you made reference to online channels, uh, you made reference to much more aggressive marketing techniques where you can attract more traffic or attract more customers, even if it's not in that mall in terms of other ways. Businesses are going to have to look at a whole blend of solutions and a variety of options. For some of them, they'll be able to move to the top tier malls. A lot of them will simply not be able to. Okay, yeah, no, it is, it is, it is quite an interesting one, um, and especially when one just thinks about you know all of the trends because you know someone might have you know I think a person that has a some type of a niche um, audience even in the second or third tier more they're probably a better placed than some of the more widely available goods because in that particular instance it makes more sense uh, you know using that rationale that people would go for the experience in uh, some of the bigger locations so uh, interesting to see how that would develop and then i think uh, just shifting over to the residential part then um it, i just wonder what all of that is going to then mean uh about uh what's the word i'm looking for about uh what the property market looks like in a couple of years right are we all going to be i guess clamoring for the freestanding houses that were seen as being unsafe uh, you know all of over all of these years um, or are we going to find ourselves you know just demanding you know bigger and better spaces you know simply to say that it's no longer just a flat that I come home to at the end of the day or spend my weekends at I'm literally working at this place so you know I'm demanding the best you know that I can probably get uh, for whatever money I have uh, on hand. So I don't think there's going to be a structural change towards standalone houses, so to speak. I think there's a, a, a trend um, in that direction. They're becoming a bit more attractive, but we're not going to see a fundamental structural change. It might increase the appeal, the premium you get on standalone residential properties, but there's not going to be a wholesale structural change. What you see with the most progressive developers, what you see them doing especially with your upmarket clusters now, 
is that an office has become a mandatory part of the home. It's become mandatory. And that's what the most progressive guys are doing. And you will pay a premium for those clusters, for those estates, which are now building properties where you've got a significant part of the space having an office that can accommodate your work, even if the kids are running around, you're a bit more isolated and you're not interrupted. So that's really what uh, the market is doing in response to these particular demands. All right. So I guess moving on to uh, the, the the second piece, um, you know, of this discussion, we've already spoken about what's going on in the property. You know, that's what you said is uh, the first bit looking at the office spaces, um, looking at, uh, you know, the U.S. trends. We then shifted to commercial, then residential. Um, well, what, what's on uh, as the second slot? So the second slot is really looking at consumers and how shopping has now become an always-on experience. Let me explain that, Mudiwa. So what we see now is that consumers are in a constant state of what we call passive shopping. They're passive shopping. So they're shopping when they're scrolling on Instagram. They're shopping when they're looking at TikTok. And they're shopping when they're reading the news online. They're shopping when they're in Zoom meetings sometimes. So in the old world, there was this shopping which was a lot more purposeful, um, consumers drop a list of what they need, they go to a physical store, and they procure it. But it's now an always-on experience. And you've seen some international brands taking really huge advantage of this. There's, there's a Chinese brand called, I think it's Shein, S-H-E-I-N. I experimented with it in October to December last year just to see how it worked. It's a fantastic example of how they've taken a physical store like Zara's, turned it into something digital. But their real differentiation is how they are able to engage their customers on an ongoing basis. It's a fantastic example of a digital solution which really uh, takes advantage of this always-on experience and gets their customers to shop again and again, and again, and again. They've actually been criticized for making their app addictive. But if you have to take a look at the market share that company has gained in the United States, um, actually in Africa as well, you'd be very, very surprised. So that really gives a challenge to businesses to say, hold on, if a customer is shopping in a passive manner, he requires a slightly different marketing message. So a passive shopper, for instance, might be scrolling Instagram and they may respond better to an advertisement that's really acquainting them to your brand values and showing them something inspirational in that regard. That's really how you'd make it effective for someone who's shopping on a passive basis. On the other hand, if you've got a customer or potential customer who's online and who's Typing into the search engine the name of a product or service, Mr. McInerney, by way of example, that lowers the bar in terms of the marketing message. And what you might want to do with that type of customer is maybe offer them a coupon or do something slightly different to encourage some form of activation and conversion. But the key thing there is shopping has now become and always on experience. And you need to target your marketing message accordingly in order to make sure 
you're able to convert that underlying customer. I'm actually glad that you you brought in that example. Uh, I'm I'm still not sure, you know, how people pronounce that word. I know that some people say she in, some people say Shane, uh, but you know, it's been quite phenomenal to see, you know, the type of growth that they've had over the years. Uh, there've been a number of uh, shopping sites over from the east, you know, AliExpress and all of that stuff. Uh, but I think what um, you know, she in has been able to do, and I think the number that I saw recently was that they were turning over about thirty billion dollars a year, um, which translated to rands would be roughly four hundred fifty billion, um, in a year, which is uh, I, I, far outstrips you know many of the numbers we see locally. You know, so I guess it lends itself to that uh, to that bit um, of uh, you know what you call this uh, that that part of the market where so many consumers are just going online and they don't really I, I guess distance isn't even a factor anymore you know to say that this is stuff that's coming out of you know mainly in the case of um in the case of she and right to say that the stuff is coming from thousands of kilometers away right people that that doesn't really register to someone you know they just say okay fine i press the button i made the payment and i expect that this thing is gonna come in six to eight working days you know even if it's coming from halfway around the world you know the consumers um the perception of what's possible and not possible you know seems to just be bigger um, at the moment. Absolutely spot on. And I'm going to talk about the consumer journey and uh, how they're influenced greatly by when they need it a little bit later on. But Sheen is, is a really fantastic and a dangerous example, I would add, a dangerous example. Like I said, I experimented <laughs> with it from a business perspective in October. And I was just seeing, how does this thing work? My clients are going to be asking me about it. How effective is it? And you're going to get criticisms of Sheen. People are going to criticize the quality in some respects. And I sympathize with them because when you get the product, sometimes the quality is not what you'd expect to be used to shopping in Santon or some of these upmarket malls. They'll criticize certain aspects of it. But the fundamental core offering, which is a wide variety, very accessible price points, um, a seamless digital delivery mechanism and as much as they're relying on third-party logistics providers even that is relatively good it's not excellent it's not at the level of amazon for instance but i would probably give it a, a seven out of ten amazon's probably on a nine out of ten the dangerous part about it is as much as they've got these weaknesses in terms of the quality of the merchandise at some point, they're going to move up market and they'll probably take the same capabilities, the same app, the same platform, rebrand it into something else and start selling much more upmarket stuff. And that's going to mean a lot of our top end retailers here are going to be in big, big trouble. It's a dangerous platform and it's dangerous as well because it's addictive. I used it for three months. It was for business purposes. But even I got into it, and I'm not a shopper by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> 
it certainly sounds like you know at least at least a nice thing about this discussion is that you're not talking from some type of a theoretical point of view you've lived this um this sheen experience and you actually found yourself getting a little bit addicted i've actually seen a lot of people online uh talking about that and i know a couple of people in my own life uh, that actually use uh the site and i think especially because of the very low price points um there's been a trend actually online where people do uh she in hauls where people get like an entire box with like a hundred items from the site because it's so cheap to get and then they just you know do videos where they just show all the stuff that they have uh, but it's definitely going to be one that um, we should keep um, an eye on so moving on from that then we've uh, spoken about the property market we've spoken about uh, shopping as uh, what you call an always on experience uh, the third aspect that businesses should be taking uh, into consideration so the third aspect is not new it's it's just uh, the momentum is built up especially in South Africa. And that's really this further blurring, this further conflation of the physical and the digital realm. Uh, so naturally, what we expected to see with the pandemic is more consumers using digital channels. And what that, that's also done is really it set the expectation higher, it set the bar higher. So this omni-channel approach, this seamlessness in terms of I want to get what I want to get whether that's physical or online, should be driven by what I choose, that's accelerated significantly. But an interesting nuance is in that is what's underpinning this. What's underpinning this? And the very important thing that's underpinning this from a consumer perspective is that the consumer journey is now starting with the consumer saying, when do I need it? So when do they need it? Not where will they buy it, but when do they need it? So shopping in this brave new economy is less about choosing whether to buy products online or buy them in stores. It's not about that anymore. It's more about how does shopping fit into my schedule as a consumer? And consumers are asking that very, very simple question for every single purchase. Do I need it today or can it wait? And that really provides an opportunity for some online retailers, some offline retailers, but it also gives some other ones um, a real challenge going forward. So retailers that could provide data, for instance, on the inventory that's online, retailers are able to say, this is most likely when I'm going to be able to deliver this to you successfully. Retailers that can give that assurance, that certainty, those are going to be very, very well positioned because that's how consumers are making these decisions. And again, I'm just going to use an example, a personal example with you. I needed to buy linen for my house and I'm not a shopper. So I thought, let me go do it online. Bang, bang, bang. I was done in less than 10 minutes, over 3,000 Rand worth of linen. This particular retailer said everything was available within three days. I expected it within three days. Three days later, it wasn't there because they said, no, one item was missing. I sent them an email. I said, hold on. This is an order with over 3,000. Don't delay delivery for one item. Now, they were responsive. They were great. And they delivered the following day. Everything else 
The other item, I think, came through two days later, whatever the case may be. But this capacity to be able to respond to the consumer who's making decisions on when they need it, and that informs whether they do it digitally or they do it physically in terms of their shopping experience, that capacity amongst online and physical businesses is going to be absolutely critical. Yeah, it, it it certainly will be. And I guess it it lends itself to what we we're talking about earlier on about what is the actual experience of going to a shopping center. Because when I think about, um, you know, if if you're in Johannesburg, um, then people may have seen the um, the new Adidas store that is at uh, Santon City Mall. And you can almost get a sense that in that particular case, they've set that location up as a way for people to come in try on clothes they even have virtual virtual mirrors that help you to just you know try on clothes as opposed to going to the changing room you can just you know do it in front of this mirror and you can do it virtually and um, you know there are a lot of aspects that actually show that they it's about the experience it's about coming in touching and feeling the clothes because i think they sort of anticipate that uh, people are just gonna go and purchase the stuff elsewhere particularly online and if you are a brand name like adidas you don't necessarily need um, your consumers to be buying from your website specifically or from your um, store specifically you just need them to go and buy adidas somewhere they just need to feel the sneakers they just need to feel uh, the tracksuits and the t-shirts then they go and they get it from wherever they do and at the end of the day on the back end adidas still gets their money um, at the end of the day because they are the originators they're the ones supplying um all of these other places so even if someone gets um a similar t-shirt cheap on another website it's come from adidas um originally so you know i, I really do agree and do think that that's one of those things that we are likely going to see particularly uh, more on the top end where uh, a location is more about that experience and then people you know then decide you know I, I've walked in I've touched it I've felt this thing do I want it right now or do am I okay waiting a few days and that will lend then lend itself to you know uh, whether I'm shopping online or whether I'm actually just going to get this thing from the store itself spot on absolutely spot on now, I'm going to be provocative here. You mentioned the Adidas example and um, the new outlet in Santa. Apple has been doing this for years. <laughs> yes. The Apple outfit that we see, yeah, absolutely, their distribution channel, but primarily their marketing experiential channel. You see a lot of people in the Apple stores fiddling with all those products. Most of those people aren't going to buy anything today. But the thinking is they'll get a sense They'll experience the Apple offering and the product. And when they need to make the decision, when they want to make a transaction, then they will go buy it either online or they'll come back to the store itself. Apple's been doing this for years. It's critical businesses who, not, who aren't there yet catch up very, very quickly. That's going to be absolutely essential. And um, I guess tied in with this as we round off the discussion, um, Mr. Mac, maybe... 
you know, maybe a little bit of thought needs to also be lent to how businesses are managing, you know, all of these different supply chains. Because if you are, you know, shifting your business to online or trying to take advantage of all of these, you know, different experiential factors and all of that, I I take it that there needs to also be an adjustment of uh, people's supply chains as well, you know, to sort of, uh, I guess, get into uh, that new mode of doing business. Yeah, absolutely. So, so globalization, uh, global supply chains have been fantastic. We now enjoy fantastic price points on relatively high quality products. It's been fantastic for all of us as consumers, so to speak. But what the COVID pandemic did is it actually revealed how as a country, as a region, as a continent, we can be very, very exposed to these global supply chains. So when COVID hit, for instance, we couldn't access basic things like personal protection equipment. Now, do you want to really be in that situation where a critical uh, input, a critical product or service that talks to the health of your population, you have to access it 12,000 plus kilometers away? And a lot of countries are saying, hold on, we need to rethink this. So on certain very, very sensitive items, what we find is supply chains are being relooked at and they're being brought closer to home. What the COVID pandemic has brought out was things like personal protection equipment. Uh, in South Africa now, we are manufacturing vaccines and we're increasing our capability to manufacture vaccines, ventilators, other sensitive medical equipment that will also be relevant uh, in another pandemic that, may that will take place. It's just a matter of time as to when, but it will take place. So globally, we're seeing this relooking of supply chains and trying to bring domestic production to sensitive items. And it's not just a South African trend, it's a global trend. I'll use another example. So if we take a look at uh, all the technology products we manufacture today, I'll, I'll take a look at a motor vehicle. All of these products are using microchips. And what we found partly as a result of the COVID pandemic, but partly due to general shortages. You had, for instance, the motor manufacturing industry in the U.S. being compromised because they could not get enough chips from Taiwan. And what they've started to do is say, hold on, on these very sensitive inputs, we need to bring back production to the United States of America. So globalization has been very, very beneficial for most of us. But what we're finding now is nationalization, using that term loosely, in the case of big markets like the U.S. And on the African continent, we're finding regionalization is taking place with regards to these supply chains. South Africa will be manufacturing vaccines and they'll be exporting them to other African markets. Similarly, the other countries that have been chosen in East Africa and in West Africa, which will have the same capabilities, and exporting those products regionally so there isn't the exposure, this, this international exposure to supply chains which may fail 
during a pandemic. So that's been it. It's been a very fascinating discussion just around um, some of the consumer trends uh, that businesses should be, you know, taking, um, you know, taking cognizance of, taking note of, um, you know, just relating, you know, to put um, into their own business strategies as things go forward. And uh, we had David Makova, who is uh, the founder and CEO of Mr. Mac Learning, giving us insight um, into a couple of those trends. We started off talking about what's going on over in the property market, uh, you know, talking about, you know, what happens to, you know, office space at a time where people are going back to work, uh, but at a smaller, at a much smaller rate uh, than what things were um, pre-pandemic. And then also talking about some of the U.S. trends, residential trends um, as well, lending themselves to the fact that um, in a lot of places with freestanding housing, um, the, 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 the feature of having an office is no longer you know something that's seen as a luxury uh, but more of a necessity and then getting into you know quite a wide-ranging discussion just around um, the the influence of online shopping um, on a couple of things such as um, the place of different types of malls shopping centers um, what does it mean to actually have a physical retail location and then the conflation of physical versus digital spaces um, you know the fact that you know consumers are demanding you know better quality better price points but also at the same time um you know getting things from you know around the world but still expecting them uh, to arrive as and when um they are advertised to arrive and all that uh being rounded up by a supply chain because all of this stuff has to be um you know fed in uh from somewhere in one way or another so that's been it uh, mr mike thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Mudiwa. Thank you to your listeners. Look forward to seeing you guys soon. This is Mudiwa's Take. Quite a fascinating discussion there with Mr. Mack. And I think, um, you know, all the things that we spoke about uh, do lend themselves to um, some of the big consumer points um, of the moment. I mean, if you're a business uh, that is consumer facing right now, not being online is uh, is probably, um, you know, not, not advised. Uh, you know, online is just where things are um, at the moment, especially when you look at uh, the amount of time that people are around the world and even, um, you know, on the African continent and in South Africa, you know, uh, are spending on their smartphones um, and the like. It's just, um, you know, quite ridiculous. And one just needs to be able to, you know, take advantage um, of all of those different channels to make things happen. And then I think the second piece um, that comes in in there is that conflation between um, the digital and the physical spaces um, to say that, uh, uh, I don't think we're going to find ourselves in a situation where one sort of subsumes the other uh, because during the pandemic, that was one of the big messages uh, that had been there that uh, all the doomsday sayers were there predicting that this would be uh, the final nail in the coffin of uh, physical retail, bricks and mortar um, and the like. And that has not ended up translating to actually being the case on the ground, probably a hybrid of some sort. 
um, is probably is probably needed or a rejigging um, of um, you know a rejigging of the strategy because um, when we say taking advantage of online channels we often think um, of payments gateways and having an e-commerce part of your website and all of this stuff but in this day and age just simply um, having a catalog of your of your businesses goods and services on whatsapp right is a form of e-commerce already you know sending out catalogs and flyers just around you know your different prices and all of that in um, in groups on social media and on whatsapp that is a form of social media simply uh, not social media that is a form of e-commerce uh, simply because that's where people are that's where the attention is and uh, those are the channels that people are increasingly using um, to find goods and services. How many times have you yourself uh, gone into a WhatsApp group, for example, or been chatting to someone uh, via text and you say, oh, I'm looking for such and such, you know, any recommendations and, uh, you know, lending yourself to those uh, types of channels really does push yourself well. So there's a lot of ways that people can be attacking uh, this issue of um, e-commerce uh, more and more offerings are online so if you can get yourself in there somehow get your foot into the door uh, it will probably work best and then also at the same time just looking at uh, all the different pressures um, around uh, you know supply chains uh, to satisfy all of the um, consumer demand especially now that things are coming back online at, uh, at an increasing rate we are likely going to be seeing uh, more and more goods and services being consumed Consumed, which then um, lends itself once again uh, to this inflationary pressures that we talk about, you know, quite a lot on this platform. So taking advantage of all these different opportunities, um, you know, does come, you know, from just looking at the trends, what's going on and how can you um, insert yourself into all of that. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.